Hey, it's Chirag. Uh, I'm super excited to bring you today's podcast episode with uh, the co-founder of Mflux Motors, Mr. Vinay Ratsomshekar, who is also the design head at Mflux Motors. And that's exactly what we're going to be focusing on in today's podcast. It's all about design. It's all about your design, folks. So if you're a person who's into design, uh, I think this is the right place for you. And uh, we talk in this episode everything about automotive design both in uh, the older industry which is you know the current automotive industry and uh, design in electric vehicles and you know, just design and mobility going forward so if you're a person who's interested in building a career around design uh, in the indian automotive space of uh, a this is the best time to be one and b this is the podcast you need to listen to if you want to know how exactly to go about this so i hope you enjoy this and share it with your designer friends out there who can gain some money valuable insights from it as well so uh, enjoy this episode and of course share it here with people uh, who would benefit from it as well you're listening to the driven differently audio experience a podcast hosted by chirag joshi an indian entrepreneur who hosts guests both from his industry of electric vehicles and sustainable mobility and people completely unrelated like artists and creators with the intention of getting as many people involved in the mission to upgrade humanity to sustainable ways of transportation aka being driven differently so uh, without much further ado i'm going to have vinay introduce himself to the community so when i please you know give them a brief uh, sort of intro about who you are what you do and then we can take forward from that okay so hey guys i'm uh, vinay rao somshekar so i'm the co-founder and chief designer at here at influx motors um we started influx motors back in august 2016 uh wanted to build really cool sexy sports motorcycles and that's what influx as a company is about uh but me i've been a at least i wanted to be a designer for a quite a long time now yeah. and uh, i'm really happy that i'm getting to do the actual sort of design work here okay. here at influx uh okay so sh- should i what talk about my uh, journey as a designer what yeah i mean like, before that i mean i just want to highlight a couple of encounters that i've had with the company as a whole mm-hmm. so i don't know if you remember uh, i'm not sure who was the person handling it so uh before the auto show the the day you were or probably before the auto show when you put out the first piece say picture of the em flux mm-hmm. my instagram handle was the first one to put that out even for you guys did it on your own oh page. really okay i know it was called energy question back then okay, okay. Mm-hmm. so we put and that was a surprise to her and like okay you know we we got to put it out and then you put it on your whole thing you know yeah. so that was number one number two was so that that reveal wasn't really planned that day yeah you know we sort of kept it under wraps and we wanted to reveal it the next day but then yeah. we saw that a lot of press people were there yeah. and uh, you know a lot of people were taking their covers of the bike so we had not planned a launch sort of a thing mm-hmm. it it wasn't really like a launch or anything it was just sort of a hello world uh, yeah. thing for us you know showing our bike at the auto expo mm-hmm. just yeah so uh, that that sort of yeah. set set the you know thing for us because back then there weren't as many electric bike companies in the country as of now that as many there are right now mm-hmm. so uh, back then to have someone like you you know announce yourself into the world was pretty uh, i'd say bold you know and of course you got a lot of eyes on you and all that yeah so, well i mean ether had already done it torque had already done it yeah, yeah. i think a couple more companies but in the premium sort of sports yeah, bike premium, category premium segment yeah yeah so we are all we are all in different segments mm-hmm. but we are all doing sort of the same uh, yeah you are yeah. yeah the goal is the same right to shift make happy people shift to electric exactly vehicles. yeah so that was one encounter the second encounter was you know uh, getting to know ankit you know mm-hmm. and roaming around the facility and seeing the bike in person that was another uh, encounter and that was great you know uh, because i got to see the bike in person i hadn't seen it and uh, it was it was great to see the kind of work that went into it and i think i think at that point it had the red panels on so yeah so that, we had i think we had just assembled a red bike for the first time back then but then it was just an empty shell yeah uh, so at the moment it's sort of the opposite where mm-hmm. all the panels are lying on the floor but then we are testing the prototype okay that we are running right now mm-hmm. and it's uh, much 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 faster than the one that we were testing earlier the blue one yeah the one that you might have seen the one that you saw at the auto expo and that yeah. has been covered by power drift mm-hmm. um the one that we have right now downstairs is much much faster than that so okay. much more fun to ride yeah i'm sure yes yeah. 
so uh, i want you to you know first get dive into a little brief into em flux what how did the you know how did it if i'm correct it's just em flux not em flux oh sorry em flux okay it's em flux guys it's not em flux my bad so i want to you know uh, take us through the start of it more importantly how did it start and why did it and why did you join i think you joined a little yeah, late yeah. so yeah I'll and then what the grand vision is and where are you currently in that okay yeah Old so the story. company was started by varun it was his idea so varun came up with the name and uh, he started the company along with ankit and uh, what does mflux mean electromagnetic flux i mean oh, so uh, he was uh, thinking about a name and he just sort of uh, the whole point was to start a company mm-hmm. and uh, he came up with the word influx and it sort of stuck with us since then okay. a lot of times we had a discussion about whether to, whether or not to change the name in mm-hmm. fact both of us were sitting here uh-huh. and looking at that board over there and thinking about what sort of uh, name mm-hmm. we can come up yeah. with you know nothing really stuck and uh, you know it's been uh, 3 years and influx is sort of yeah it's, it's, it's a good name i don't know i mean uh, it's, it's catchy is this story out there that this word the uh, name means no i don't know i don't, okay, I don't think, think so we are really first one awesome that's yeah. great yeah <laughs> yeah so the whole story so yeah yeah so varun and ankit were already there and uh, i think a couple of electronics engineers and a couple of mechanical engineers so one day um, well i was on vacation in south africa mm-hmm. and i just landed in the airport and uh, the moment i switched on my phone i think not uh, more than 2 seconds later i got a call mm. from some unknown number so i picked up the call and uh, he said he introduced himself he said hey i'm varun uh, i've started a company called mflux motors we are building electric we are building an electric superbike mm-hmm. that's what he said uh and i'm looking for a designer would you like to come and meet us and i didn't think for 2 seconds before i said of course i'll come with <laughs> you and the very next day uh being jet lagged and all i didn't care i just came here and uh we, okay so right now our office is on the first floor yeah. and we have about 18 people mm-hmm. uh, but back then when i came it was on the third floor it was like a very small room somewhere tucked okay. in the corner so you've always been in this building yes we've been in this building right from the start mm-hmm. So there were these five guys sitting inside. Warren was one of them, and uh, he introduced himself again, and he told me exactly what they were doing, and uh, he said that he wanted somebody to design an electric superbike for them, mm. and uh, I said, okay, it's fine, mm. do it. Yeah. Uh, so I I sort of started off as a freelance designer mm. for uh, Influx Motors. I just left TVS okay. before that. Mm. So I was working as a freelance designer for a couple of months, and then we realized that. things were going well in the sense that all of us shared a very common vision mm-hmm. you know if uh, mflux hadn't come along i probably would have uh, started my own company with regards to evs or at least you know something to do with evs yeah. and like that mm-hmm. but then uh, we had this very you know focused concurrence of vision mm-hmm. and uh, you know, so varun he convinced me okay you know you know why don't you uh, invest in the company and uh, you know you can be like the co-founder of the company as well okay yeah so then uh, you know i had a what do you say like um, i believed in it mm-hmm. and i still do believe in it of course you know because all of us we are really working towards it yeah so i made an investment in the company me and my dad together okay. i put my life savings into the company wow okay that's an interest yeah. i didn't know that man that's yeah. great okay so and uh, Yeah, so that's how the three of us got started off, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I think back when uh, this company was started, or back when I joined, I really wasn't good at uh, designing an entire motorcycle as I am now. Of course, it, it has come through experience. Yeah, but uh, all of us—I mean, it's, the, it's pretty much the same for all of us. All of us sort of like dove headlong into this, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm pretty sure none of us knew what we were getting into. Okay. Right. Yeah. But that's sort of been a very good thing for us because uh, the learning has been absolutely tremendous. Mm-hmm. Not just for me as a designer and for my team as designers, but for all the mechanical engineers, the electronics guys, mm-hmm. and everything. So I can actually there's been like a tangible, uh, you know, uh, level of improvement and maturity, mm-hmm. you know, in every way, uh, with regards to what we can do and uh, what we have done. yeah you no know, over the last few months mm-hmm. which is why uh, our bike is so much more fun to ride now yeah and our design has evolved into something much better mm-hmm. so what do you what do you seen you know on the internet the blue bike yeah is not the final design mm-hmm. 
it'll be a much better design both in terms of mechanical engineering as well as the aesthetics mm-hmm. uh, i think we put out some images of uh, the bike in white recently yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so that, i mean that's that's also like an improved intermediate version yeah in every iteration that you put out yeah. say from the a blue to the red to the red to the white yeah. there's some well, the blue, blue and the red are normal okay, yeah. the okay but in the white exactly one the same. But, but in the white one there were you know yeah the white one had a few changes mm-hmm. ergonomic changes aesthetic changes yeah and uh, back when it was made i was uh, happy with it mm-hmm. but now i want to make it even better yeah. and if if uh, you know if it permits then yes it will be much better than that yeah. otherwise i think uh, we'll see we'll see what happens with yeah, the yeah. so so what has been the grand vision of em flux uh, since the start and has it changed now Three years into it, no, they are exactly the same. Okay, so so, so what exactly is it? The grand vision of Mflux Motors is to, I mean, I think the grand vision of every electric vehicle company is to, uh, is pretty much the same as Tesla's, yeah, you know, to accelerate the world's adoption of electric vehicles. Yeah, sure. that's what we always wanted to do. That's the thing. That's what everybody is. Yeah, doing. I mean that that's one thing that's yeah. common throughout any company. Yeah, yeah, and and you know that that narrative has been done to the death. So I don't want to yeah. talk about it anymore. You know the yeah. fact that electric vehicles are slow and boring. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's so, a, but, but the, the misconception that yeah no no that, that's one area when I want to come in in terms of like I think that's one narrative that you use which is like you know to shatter the image I think that's how the whole story started but now that you see uh, you know 20 almost 2020 yeah. there have been a lot of Indian companies that have shattered the image exactly so do you so, see yourself doing that again or now you find a different niche for yourself in the industry once you come out I mean there's no need for us to have to shatter the image because yeah. it's already been uh, shattered yeah like I said that's a narrative that's been done to death and yeah. we don't want to talk about that anymore mm-hmm. uh, so our focus will be on delivering absolutely world class products in every way not only in terms of design not only in terms of engineering but also reliability and the way it feels when you ride it mm-hmm. should be it should just blow your socks off you know it should be a lot of fun to ride so it's always going to be in the premium segment mflux is always going mflux, to be mflux as a company is always okay. going to be in the premium segment but uh, there has been a lot of work that's gone behind building these mflux bikes so there's mm-hmm. been a lot of uh, learning that has happened and uh, all of the technology that goes into the mflux one has been developed by us in house mm-hmm. right here uh, pr- i mean pretty much everything the design the engineering the uh, technology is except so okay except for the cells which were sourced from samsung and lg yeah. and the brakes and the suspension every single component on this motorcycle has been designed and engineered by us in house okay yeah that's great. so that's a tremendous amount of learning there's right? a lot of work and yeah. it would be sort of wasted potential if this technology wasn't applied elsewhere mm-hmm. right so mflux like i said mflux as a company will always stay in the premium segment but that doesn't mean that we will not get into uh, the like commuter segments for example yeah. you know the point is the technology that we have developed can be upscaled or downscaled to fit literally any sort of vehicle mm-hmm. that you need to build it can be a scooter it can be an earth mover yeah can be anything so it's going to be is it so the tech part that you say is it going to be more of like a tech partnership with oems or is going to be mflux as a brand coming out which i, I don't think could be anything it okay. could be tech partnerships which we are already mm-hmm. uh, working on mm-hmm. uh, like if some oem they want us to build uh, a vehicle for them we can pretty much uh, build the whole thing for them or we can slot in at a particular point and if yeah. they just want the drive train developed or they want the drive train and uh, let's say the mechanicals uh, developed we can yeah. do that for them yeah. or if they want us to build a vehicle from scratch we can do it for them got it things like that yeah but but mflux as the brand yeah mflux yeah mflux as a brand, brand will be known for uh, crazy super sports bikes which yeah. are electric of course yeah yeah okay got it that makes sense now let's dive into you know one thing that's been uh, sort of very loud out there about mflux is the design element of it okay at every point the company is very proud to show how design focused it is and i think a lot of the reason is you behind it right that every sort of juncture we see that you know there's a lot of focus in terms of how the bikes designed uh, right from the logo to the bike designs to i think the recent thing that you put out was that you're also going to give out designing services yeah. as part of influx right yeah which is what i was yeah yeah that so uh, let's dive into you know your whole designing journey because we were just talking about it mm-hmm. so uh, let's just track it from the back you know where it started uh, you know how it all manifested into the person who's sitting right in front of me right now okay. so let's go to that okay so if i have to go very far back i'll go all the way back to school yeah 
So back in school, I was always interested in my okay. My favorite subject was biology okay. because I got to draw a lot of animals, yeah. and plants, and stuff like that. And geography, I think to some extent because I think maybe maps and stuff. Yeah, no, not maps, but like landscapes and Landscape. draw mountains, draw valleys, things uh-huh. like that. But my favorite subject was always biology because I got to draw a lot of animals and plants and stuff like that. I, I was crazy, absolutely crazy about dinosaurs. I think when I was eight <laughs> years old is when Jurassic Park came out. Okay. And uh, I would draw dinosaurs all the time you know, in, uh, uh, in school. But I was, all, uh, I was always also interested in automobiles because uh, my brother and I, we would collect images of uh, cars and motorcycles and we would stick them inside books. Mm-hmm. We had another book for cricket. Yeah, uh, for uh, two obsessions of English. Yeah, for <laughs> cars and motorcycles, we had a separate book. And uh, I remember, I think when I was probably 10 or 12 years old in my room, I had a poster of uh, Honda X-Axis. Okay. It's a, it was a crazy concept motorcycle from back then. Mm-hmm. And uh, even back then with my highly underdeveloped brain, sort of an oxymoron, <laughs> uh, I knew there was something special about that bike okay. and I had that poster up there and I think things like that, small little things like that have been some of the biggest influences for me. Mm-hmm. You now, vehicles, fighter jets, yeah. fighter jets, I've been crazy about fighter jets for a long time. I have, I, I, when I was in school, I did a sort of an aero modeling thing uh-huh. where uh, I built a scale model, three scale models, actually two scale models and one truck glider. Mm-hmm. So I built a scale model of a beat jet, which is basically like a... A small passenger plane, mm-hmm. it seats about 20 people, maybe, I'm not sure, something like yeah. 20 people. And then uh, I, I built a scale model of an F-22 Raptor, which oh, is all okay. destroyed now. <laughs> it's completely destroyed. Yeah. But yeah, so I was interested in cars, motorcycles, and basically anything that moves fast. Yeah. You know, things like that. Mm. So, I think it was during, uh, uh, yeah, no, it was still during school. My dad brought home the very first uh, issue of Overdrive. Okay. Magazine. So one, I remember that day still. You know, he brought the magazine and along with it a cool Porsche yeah. scale model. Mm-hmm. And I just, I just like completely fell in love. You know, and I think I pretty much collected every magazine since then mm-hmm. until the last uh, until about uh, three or four years ago when I stopped subscribing to Overdrive because yeah. I sort of became an online uh, yeah. reader sort of a guy. Okay, and. Uh, I still remember the day. I think that that was also one of the turning points in my life to mm. want to get into this field. Yeah. And I think when I was in uh, first or second PUC or pre-university college, that is when all of it sort of uh, amalgamated. And uh, I even back then had no clue what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. I just knew that it would have to be something to do with automobiles. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Kannada, we have a saying, it's called Gumpnali Govinda. Okay. So it's like follow the crowd. Okay. okay. So after, after pre-university college, what do you do? You get into engineering, engineering. right? Yeah. So I, I thought, okay, fine, I'll get into engineering. I got into mechanical engineering. I chose the college that was just closest to my house. Yeah. Then in Sagar College, yeah. which turned out to be one of the best things that's happened to me. Okay. Luckily. So I was, um, uh, I was studying in Dhanan Sagar College and studied mechanical engineering. And uh, I think my favorite two semesters were the second semester and the third semester. Because in the sem- second semester, we had a subject called uh, graphics. Okay. Where we had to draw a lot of things by hand, of course, using a drafter scale and things like that. Mm-hmm. And my third sem- third semester was my absolute fa- favorite semester because we had a subject called machine drawing. Okay. So machine drawing is where you draw complex cutaway sections of machines. And I realized that I was really good at it. Okay. You know, like intuitively, naturally good at it. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, one thing that I have to be thankful for is that I've always followed, you know, what I felt I'm good at. Mm-hmm. So that way, you know, I got into my, you know, mechanical engineering as well. Yeah. But then after my third, fourth semester, I started getting bored, you know, my I started shifting my bench back, 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 <laughs> all the way to the back of the classroom. Yeah. And I would just sit around bored and start doodling stuff and uh, things like that. One day I sketched a car. And, uh, you know, it just hit me that day. Okay, I want to be a car designer. Yeah. Car designer, like an automotive designer. Not, okay. not only a car designer, mm-hmm. since I'm doing motorcycle design. Yeah. So, I used to sketch bikes also as well. I, I, we had AutoCAD. Uh, AutoCAD, yeah. AutoCAD, yeah. So, I would draw bikes on AutoCAD. Mm-hmm. And back then, I didn't have the 3D modeling uh, skills to actually model a bike on uh, 3D. Mm-hmm. Because back then, we used to use KTR, SolidWorks, SolidEdge, mm-hmm. basically 3D modeling software. Like yeah. So, I used to use a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was uh, naturally sort of good at it. Mm-hmm. 
thankfully so yeah. that way you know all of it sort of came together and uh, i realized that i wanted to be a designer sometime during the middle of engineering okay and luckily for me our head of uh, <coughs> mechanical engineering back then he really encouraged me to follow this mm-hmm. he was not one of those guys who were like why are you sitting in the back bench come sit in the front concentrate on the lecture things like that yeah, he never yeah. did that he okay. realized that i wanted to do something else and he sort of pushed me towards it mm-hmm. his name is uh, cps prakash and i'm very very thankful to him for mm-hmm. that he's been one of the uh, great influences in my life yeah so as soon as uh, i graduated mechanical engineering uh, i went to italy okay to study at least wanting to study transportation design mm-hmm. but i did not have the necessary skills to get into car design because your sketching skills have to be top no at least at least very very good at least indicative of something heading towards a uh, top notch level yeah you know and back then my car sketching skills were very bad even though i was good at drawing mm-hmm. my i could not sketch cars and stuff that yeah. well but uh, again that turned out to be sort of a blessing in disguise because mm-hmm. i got into product design mm-hmm. instead where sketching skills are important but not as uh, what do you say not as uh, uh, specialized or required as in car design because product design you can sort of get away with uh, 3d models as well yeah okay so i got into product design so it was basically like a two year course the first year was like a basic course in product design and the second year was supposed to be the masters in transportation design okay. so they told me okay if you do well in the basic course in product design as in if your skills improve we'll give you uh, an admission to masters in transportation design okay so uh, in spite of me trying my best i could not get my skills up to the level that i wanted to get into transportation design mm-hmm. so then i the, for the second year i ended up doing industrial design mm-hmm. so it was a masters in uh, industrial yes, design yes. which is one of the best things that has happened to me because yeah. that was that's that's one of the favorite years in my life okay it's as simple as that but i guess industrial design is like uh, okay so industrial design is sort of an umbrella thing which also includes car design and motorcycle yeah i don't know i'm like i've seen industrial design is a great sort of uh, you know i think it's, it's one of the best designing courses out there because you know you can as an industrial designer you can sort of comprehend okay how because like a lot of people can design stuff. cost right mm. but to understand what kind of designing is required for it to get manufactured you know and what components and what materials that kind of know how is very special right and yeah well that that for me for the most part happened when i entered the industry yeah you know so oh, those yeah, learnings yeah. yeah so after uh, after doing this in uh, italy i came back home mm-hmm. immediately for for personal reasons and also mm-hmm. i wanted to be in india yeah I always wanted to be in india mm. so i did not even bother looking for a job or an internship or that i just yeah. directly came back home mm. and i started freelancing mm-hmm. you know that's when i started designing furniture okay. and interiors and logos and graphics and all sorts of things like that yeah no so i've always sort of taken a, a multidisciplinary or undisciplined approach to design yeah no i didn't focus on only one thing yeah whatever came in your way yeah whatever came <laughs> came in my head so i was uh, freelancing for a while and then i realized and then it started becoming increasingly difficult to find clients mm-hmm. so at that point of time i sort of gave up on design and i started going to my dad's factory yeah. so we we have a foundry okay mm-hmm. yeah and uh, so i went to my dad's factory for 6 months mm-hmm. and uh, and i i learned the work you know i would, I would stand in the shed you know like packing mud yeah. and uh, into molds and things like that mm-hmm. so uh, i was doing that and then i got a uh, i got a job offer from a german company with subsidiary here in india yeah. a company called ika not ikea uh-huh. ika is a german company okay to design laboratory equipment mm-hmm. yeah still nowhere close to car design but yeah. uh, i was happy to be getting back into the design field yeah so again those two years were like really really two really good years in my life because not only was the work really good uh, after work i would spend a lot of time staying back in office and sketching cars and okay. things like that so i kept on sketching and sketching and sketching until my skills yeah. reached a certain decent level mm-hmm. and uh, i applied to the, the school called dskisd mm-hmm. in pune okay and i got in so so dskisd is basically a five year course mm-hmm. but i got into year 3 directly since i already had uh, a masters in uh, design okay 
and uh, the things. So and was this in relation to transportation? Yes, transportation okay. design. So I got into transportation design okay. finally. Okay. Like, yes, my, finally. Achieved my <laughs> dream sort of thing. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, I, I think it's literally manifesting into it because you know, starting from car designing, sketching, you know, all throughout sort of led you to it, right? Yeah. So that was a great... Uh, yeah, cars and motorcycles. I, I keep forgetting to mention motorcycles, but I used to sketch cars, motorcycles. Yeah. I mean, like, big cars. Yeah. Yeah. Things so as a whole, yeah. Yeah. So, so once that phase ended and were those two years uh, accelerate did those two years accelerate your skills in terms of designing vehicles yes they did but not as much as the one year I spent in DSKSD because that was like a personal renaissance for me okay you know like there's like a complete transformation in uh, the level of uh, skill that I was at mm-hmm. and that's thanks to some of my colleagues in my classroom who really helped me mm-hmm. you know uh, get my sketching skills up and then it was a very, very, very extremely intense course. Yeah. You know, some of the most stressful days of my life have been at DSKISD. Uh-huh. So that way, uh, it turned out to be some of the, again, one very intense and one extremely uh, fulfilling year. Yeah. Like. So, yeah. So, I'm sure in DSK, you studied about vehicle designing from, uh, I'm guessing, an internal combustion engine standpoint. And not, not really. So did they also include like? So was it? Did it also get into? But I'm sorry, uh, when you're okay. in, in a way, yes. Yeah. Because like, of, yeah. when you're designing those vehicles, of course, you have the dimension in place for an engine and not an, a battery and a motor, right? So, uh, honestly, it doesn't matter that much because okay. uh, well, I'm, I'm I'm a zero on design, so yeah. you need to educate no. me here, yeah. right? So I'm guessing because as much as I see and I understand, I guess you know, uh, it, it, it's not like you can just take a chassis or any design made for an internal combustion engine vehicle and just throw the engine out and put a battery and motor in like with a few modifications you can oh, so it, it probably it, won't be the most optimal solution yeah but with a few modifications you can yeah. so so are you saying there isn't a large difference so there are a lot of people already do that you know, yeah make uh, electric kits for active yeah absolutely no yeah retrofitting but uh my thing is so you there's not a lot of design difference in designing a vehicle for uh, an electric vehicle or uh, an internal combustion vehicle. So, is there not a lot of difference in that? Yes or no. Okay. So, end of the day, it is still a motorcycle. Yeah. So, it will look like a motorcycle. Yeah. Because you need to have the ergonomics in place. Mm. There's uh, something called a rider triangle. Mm. You know, where uh, point number one is where you hold the handlebars. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Yeah. I've seen that. So, you know the rider triangle. Yeah. So, that, that stays pretty much the same even if it's... Uh, whether it's an ice engine vehicle or a uh, or an electric vehicle, of course, it depends on the class of vehicle that you're designing. If it's uh, an adventure tourer, the rider triangle is way more relaxed. Yeah. And if it's a super like a super bike, mm-hmm. like a track of focus track machine, mm-hmm. it'll be a very very committed rider rider triangle, mm-hmm. things like that. But see, but the point is, end of the day, it's still a motorcycle. It's just the way that things come together. Mm-hmm will obviously change you know and even uh, internal combustion engine vehicles there are so many different types of internal combustion engines right okay. you have uh, inline force you have parallel uh, uh, v-twins and you have uh, boxer engines yeah. and all of them are designed differently and all of them are mounted differently okay. there are uh, so many different types of frames mm-hmm. like chassis mm-hmm. that you can use you know you have trellis frames you have perimeter frames you have a combination of both Mm-hmm. And you have uh, a lot of frames where the uh, you have monocoque frames. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of frames where the engine itself is like uh, a stress member. Okay. Things like that. So, so, there's, so there's a lot. So it's a, the the point is it's not as uh, simple as saying it's uh, just different because even with an internal combustion, you have a lot of variation. A lot yeah, of differences. Yeah. Are there. So do you, do you see that same uh, sort of variation within the same line of technology in EVs as well? Of course. Yeah, in terms yeah. of battery pack size and all Absolutely. of that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But, but the all, core of it see, remains it, the same. End end of the day, yeah. Core uh, the core of the thing is design, mm-hmm. and it's purpose driven design, purpose-driven. and human centered design. Mm-hmm. So, end of the day, it all depends on the kind of vehicle that you want to design, you know. And it, uh, it, the requirement dictates the process that you use to design the vehicle. Yeah. So, uh, one big theme that I see in uh, electric vehicles right now is utility-driven design, okay. That's really utility-driven, like if, if it's trying to solve a particular problem, it's made for that. And I think design has started to play an increasingly important role in the Indian automotive sector as such, okay? No, design has always played an integral role. It's just that we have started recognizing the word design as an integral part of it. So, okay, back in the, let's say the 60s or uh, 
or or way further back you know uh, okay now sort of design design is a very uh, how do i put this design is not as simple a word as you think it is so a lot of people think that design is just about making really cool looking vehicles mm-hmm. you know but it it's a lot lot deeper than that it's also about how it works how it feels yeah, how it feels when you use it yeah. and how much thought has gone into it so that even after 10 years of using the vehicle it is still a joy to use mm-hmm. everything has design in it okay yeah good so it it's 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 a it's a huge bandwidth you know it starts off with uh, wanting to make a vehicle look good mm-hmm. to wanting to satisfy the customer for 10 years yeah. usage so mm-hmm. it's all design okay so so you're saying that design has always played a, a role in the indian automotive sector consciously or unconsciously yes okay yeah. got it because you know let's say you know one of the things that ather prides itself is like a crazily engineered product yeah it was built right from scratch which it says no other scooter has been built in such a way mm-hmm. so they set themselves apart in that part of designing so would you agree that uh, you know they've done a commendable job in terms of designing that uh and somewhere the internal combustion i mean like somewhere like a honda or a tvs did not go for that or didn't have like what what stopped them from doing what then ether pulled up was there no need for it or what was the scenario there no i think we are comparing two different things over here because mm-hmm. an activa does its job perfectly a tvs to jupiter does its job perfectly mm-hmm. and an ether is doing its job perfectly mm-hmm. so an ether is an electric vehicle that is uh, sort of a smart connected vehicle and the activa is uh, sort of a workhorse yeah. for people wanted to commute around the city right it's okay. two very okay. different things so it's again so, the purpose of what it's built for yeah. comes okay got yeah. it so yeah. that has a design has a big role in you know yeah. producing what is exactly made for yeah that's true got it. that makes sense um so in terms of uh, you know so mobility is a big sort of topic on my channel so and when you talk about mobility there's more than just the vehicle itself right mm-hmm. there is the infrastructure there is yeah. the software there is the electronics of it there is urban planning there's a lot of stuff involved in it right so do you see sort of the automotive industry you know sort of morphing into this uh, mobility industry that has a lot of things getting connected to it and how is that making designing a vehicle uh, how is that making designing of any vehicle in general a little different than what previously because now you have connected as a big part of the equation right so what's the main difference from a design standpoint in that realm okay this is sort of a huge topic to get into but in a way you already started to see it happen you know mm-hmm. a lot of people are talking about last mile connectivity yeah and uh, infrastructure you know okay say for example if uh, an ideally a well built city will have a sort of a hierarchy of uh, transportation mm-hmm. you know i think the best example i can probably give you is uh, recently i've been to japan okay okay so over there you can almost say that the uh, transportation system is over designed okay you know and and i mean that in the best possible way okay, okay. so there okay generally when you see a metro network you see something like this and mm-hmm. then some connected the japanese metro system is literally like this okay okay they have so many lines running together that you can you have uh, a thousand permutations and combinations to get to your uh, uh, end destination uh-huh. and probably google will suggest you the uh, the best the most optimum yeah. way to get there but it, it's all up to you you know you have so many choices over there so okay so to uh, talking about the hierarchy so they have uh, if you connect connecting from cities to cities they have the shinkansen okay. which is basically the bullet train mm-hmm. in japan mm-hmm. so that that just uh, first in between cities and even in the shinkansens they have uh, three or four different levels where uh, the lowest shinkansen will stop you know in say an important town uh-huh. in between two cities mm-hmm. but the fastest shinkansen will just run between cities okay simple as that okay. and then you have the next level of transportation which is like the local uh, no not the local train but like this inside this uh, state of the district mm-hmm. where uh, you get to travel between town to town things like that and also it connects to different important areas in the city mm-hmm. and then you have the next level which is like the like, local trains mm-hmm. which uh, is one level higher above a metro which sort of runs peripherally and uh, you know it connects important parts of the city where you can get or get into a metro station and go to where you want to mm-hmm. and then of course you have the metro which everybody knows yeah you know, 
you can so connect any part of private the vehicle usage very less there not in japan in europe yes mm-hmm. in japan I, i did see a lot of uh, they do use a lot of cars and mm-hmm. uh, vehicles especially uh, i think uh, not as much as china i would say but they have do have a lot of two wheelers over there yeah. some of the best two wheeler companies in the world are from japan yeah. you know, honda yamaha suzuki kawasaki mm-hmm. things like that yeah so and then then after the metro you have uh, you know last mile mobility mm-hmm. you know where people either walk mm-hmm. or they take a sort of a small vehicle uh, which a lot of people are trying to do here you know is trying to yeah. do and you have vogo and you have bounce and things like that so all of this has sort of uh, um you know come in as a solution that is uh, trying to address another solution trying to address another another, another solution but imagine if you were building a city from scratch you know like right from mm-hmm. scratch at the point imagine that you're building a prototype city mm-hmm. somewhere you know i can see that design plays a huge part in this wherein everything is so perfectly uh, integrated mm-hmm. and you know there's a sort of uh, um, uh, consistency between the different hierarchies of transportation mm-hmm. that's the way that i see it Okay. So if uh, there's a like a unified governing body let's say that takes care of every single one of these transportation needs mm-hmm. I can see that uh, the right from the bullet train down to the last mile mobility solution which runs at 25 kilometers per hour mm-hmm. up to the bullet train which runs at 600 kilometers per hour mm-hmm. everything can be unified into one uh, a uh, sort of a homogenous transportation solution okay so like an interoperable system you know exactly between. exactly yeah i mean we're far from that in india i mean actually <laughs> now that i've spoken i don't even remember what your original question was but i think i sort of went off on yeah, a tangent yeah so the question was yeah. you know how does this new uh, infusion of you know having so many of the vehicle acting as a connected system yeah. with the infrastructure yeah. with other vehicles with so many things how does how does designing become a little different or not different at all like how do you go about that Like again, like I said, it's all purpose-driven design. So, if the purpose is to build, let's say, uh, a perfectly efficient, perfectly perfectly functioning transportation system, mm-hmm. like the one that I just described, mm-hmm. then uh, it, it's all a matter of how you go about doing it. And design does play a huge part in it. Yeah. You know, it it can be right from uh, what do you say, consistent aesthetics in between all the systems to perfect perfectly interconnected functionality. you know so as soon as you what what's what's your user experience like as soon as you get out get out of the bullet train yeah. you take a local train to the city and if you happen to get off at a point which is not near your house then you take the metro it's about how well each of the systems are connected to each other mm-hmm. and as soon as you get out of the metro can you walk home or yeah. would you require uh, some sort of a last mile mobility solution would you want to haggle with some motor rickshaw guy you know about uh, i'm not going to pay you 70 bucks to go 2 kilometers yeah. things like that yeah. then the solution comes in how uh, how well the last mile mobility solution is integrated into the metro station mm-hmm. things like that mm-hmm. so all of this if uh, a, lo- a lot of foresight was given into this right from the beginning i i, I would say we would have much better designed cities you know mm-hmm. by now Yeah, yeah. So no, my question was more in respect to like a, a, a vehicle in itself, yeah. like one unit. Okay? Yeah. So having so you know like the software element is playing an increasingly important role in it, right? So imagine if the I mean I'm sure the Mflux one has a lot of you know great software built into it. If that wasn't the case, mm-hmm. the imagine the software element. Say you were building back like ten years back, okay? the, or just imagine the absence of the software element. Mm-hmm. Would there be a lot of different okay. line approaches taken? to incorporate that element because most of uh, you know the uh, software element brings in a lot of uh, i don't know i, I think it's, it's to have like a dashboard touch screen dashboard is also dealing with a lot of uh, it's also the most fragile part of the bike because it it's prone to whatever dust and rain and so much because an automotive is meant to you know take on all of the harsh environment but not necessarily a piece of gadget right you will yeah. fall and breaks there's so many elements to it right so how do you incorporate that and what was the thought that was put in for the mflex one okay firstly your motorcycle will break if you yeah. crash it yeah i mean and your screen could be very much a part of it mm-hmm. and secondly you can drop this phone into water for an hour and nothing will happen yeah you know so it's completely water resistant dust resistant mm-hmm. 
technology has evolved you know mm-hmm. uh, so much that you don't have to worry about uh putting really cool gadgets on a motorcycle and it getting damaged or stolen or things like that okay. you know so that way to have a smart screen which is obviously okay you were saying it's a touch screen it is a touch screen yes but we will shut off the touch function when the bike is uh, running okay because we cannot uh, afford to have somebody playing with the yeah. touch screen when you're riding so okay, we will we will have a really uh, uh, intuitive sort of a navigation system mm-hmm. Uh, for your thumb, yeah. At least for your left thumb, because you're not using a clutch, right? Mm-hmm. At least on the Mflex one, you're not yeah. using a clutch. Mm-hmm. It doesn't require a clutch. Yeah. So you will have something uh, that you can use with your left hand and your right hand, of course, mm-hmm. to navigate the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of, uh, I, I'm, I guess I'm still not understanding the exact question that you. Yeah, so I'm trying to ask that if, if, there, if there was an absence of all the software systems that exist right now that you're building into it, would there be any different? Would the yeah the vehicles would be like how they were ten years ago. Okay, that's it. No, I mean like if you were to build the same Mflux one, mm-hmm. so how big of the how how big is the software element a part of the Mflux one experience or the Mflux one you know product as a whole? You know we haven't really thought about that. Mm-hmm. The software experience is going to be a a really big experience. Mm-hmm. We just haven't thought about how cool we're going to make it yet. Okay, it, it's going to be very cool, but mm-hmm. we still haven't uh, you know. Uh, come down to the very fine details of uh, how cool it's going to be yeah. but yeah they, it, it'll be a joy to use just like the mflux one will be even if the software is not present mm-hmm. you know so like you can just shut off the software you can throw the screen out and the mflux one will still be an, yeah, exactly will still be an amazing product to use so basically i mean like then it so the experience of it does not depend on the software no, it, right? i mean so the software part of it is sort of enhancing your experience huh. at much but at the very core of it it is still a Superbly fun motorcycle to ride. It's as simple as that. Got it. Yeah, that's great. So I mean, like that. That those are the reasons I wanted to ask the whole. You know, because a lot of as you know, a lot of electric vehicle companies are focusing heavily on the software part of things. You know, to make it cool and intelligent and oh, all that. Oh, and the right to do that. And we are doing. It. Yeah, of course, because a lot of data can be tracked through exactly. it, and you can improve your vehicles in real time and all of that. Right. Yeah. So that's also a focus of, for EM Flux One. Yeah, and and the whole uh, uh, you know uh, what's it. the whole uh, domain of collecting data mm-hmm. is not just isolated, isolated to automobiles i mean it's happening all around the world yeah, yeah, facebook is doing it mm-hmm. they probably even doing it right now yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. just so, but 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 in the automotive sector this is a you know fresh inclusion right now and it's happening and it's increasingly starting to happen at least on a private transportation scale yeah. so i think that's an exciting thing and for, from a company standpoint i think it gives a lot of how to say uh just data for you to improve a lot of feedback you know mm-hmm. the user doesn't even have to do anything he just have to ride his bike yeah. or however he wants to and that gives you directly an insight into how exactly yeah. this guy is riding and know. again like i said it all depends it's not uh it's not uh how do you say it again depends on the type of vehicle that you're trying to build you know if you're trying to build a smart connected vehicle then yes all of these things uh, have to be done yeah. but there are a lot of electric vehicles which have very very basic dashboards mm-hmm. they serve their purpose yeah so the mflux 1 uh i know it's a super sports bike and that's how you're positioning it and all of that uh do you is it also going to be as easy to navigate through in the city yeah when someone rides it yeah. so it's also built for that purpose as well yes okay. in fact it will be easier uh, i mean it's 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 not a perfectly track focused bike okay so i was trying uh, talking about the rider triangle the yeah. rider triangle on the mflux one is not as aggressive as uh, proper track machines mm-hmm. it is something like uh, well the the best example i can give you is the uh, yamaha r3 mm-hmm. or the apache rr310 the yeah. uh, the rider triangle is very uh, similar to that the ergonomics are very similar to that mm-hmm. so it's going to be very easy to ride around the street of course it's it's going to be no splendor of yeah. course A splendor is still the of most uh, the benchmark and comfort and uh-huh. uh, uh, maybe the Activa is the mm-hmm. Activa and the Jupiter they're all benchmarks and comfort in their segment. Yeah. So if uh, there are there are certain things that you'll have to compromise on if you want something else. Mm-hmm. So if you want a bike that is uh, really fun to ride but also is useful for the city, mm-hmm. you'll have to compromise a bit on the track focused ergonomics and you'll have to compromise a bit on the commuter ergonomics as well because yeah. it is if it is somewhere. slotted in this part of the van wheel mm-hmm. so if you push it you start pushing it all the way to track focused 
then you cannot cannot ride it for too long in the city yeah, yeah. that's another, that's my next thing is it uh, is it going to be easier to uh, or will it be designed to tour on this bike or go long distances yeah yeah, yeah. yeah you can so so long distances uh, electric vehicles and yeah, long distances yeah no, i mean on the on a tech at the moment, i get it at yeah. the moment they don't they don't go hand in hand yeah it's i would say it's uh, it's all teething pains right mm-hmm. now because eventually you will see electric vehicles delivering electric motorcycles at least mm-hmm. delivering very very good range and okay. you can start touring on the mass comfortably as you do on ic engine yeah. vehicles so yeah. will the n flux on when it when comes out which is uh, will it be you know uh, easier for people to or will you position it in a way or design it in a way that allows people to tour on it because right now there's not a lot of there's actually no company that's saying okay you know what you can tour on this or it's not built for that so will the n flux one focus on, on being that kind of a bike that depends so if you want to do short uh, tours definitely you can mm. Uh, if you want to do city to city, you can maybe with one stop somewhere yeah. along the way. You can stop at a coffee day, and uh, I mean, there's no really stopping in terms of users. Okay, so I know yeah. I know a guy who has this Acer, and he goes. He he's been he's a, he's a wild celebrity in his own right because he takes his Acer and he goes to like Tirupati, and he just travels with this thing. Yeah, well, there you have it. Right. Yeah. So so uh, you know, if if someone wants to do it. He'll do it, yeah. but if if the influx one is uh, on a on a vehicle, if the comfort level is that, if you provide, yeah, we I'm will, pretty sure people like this exist out there, and they're gonna take it to you know another limit. Yeah. So the influx one will have a range of 200 kilometers on a full charge. Mm. That's in the city. Mm. Of course, we it won't be the same in the highway because people are gonna really thrash the bike around yeah. on the highway. I know I will. Yeah, and the range will probably drop to around 160, 160. kilometers. Mm-hmm. So what we'll be doing is uh, we'll be trying, uh, we'll be looking to install fast chargers uh, at strategic points. Okay, so 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 you're also looking at you know incorporating your yeah. own infrastructure. Yeah, that's right. So let's say there's like a coffee day mm-hmm. at every 50 or 75 kilometers, mm-hmm. or there's like a, uh, a like a rest place you know, where you can yeah. stop for coffee and for food. Yeah. You can stop your bike over there. You can uh, charge your bike for half an hour. It will give you eighteen percent range. Yeah, yeah, eighteen yeah. percent charge Makes. in about thirty-six minutes. Mm-hmm. Things like that. So we are doing everything we can to make this within the constraints that we have. Yeah, that that's my question. Like, yeah, uh, being an automotive company, why would you want to foray into the infra charging infrastructure side of things, especially now when? we have a lot of companies jumping into the game becoming solely charging you know uh, solutions companies and all of that so uh, is there a solid reason for doing that on your own no, i mean why why would we not do it because I mean, we have taking okay, let's say let's say that we have uh, okay so we have developed our own charger it's called an evsc an electric vehicle supply, supply equipment mm-hmm. and uh, let's say that we develop a charger which is uh, more superior to the ones that somebody else puts out mm-hmm. why would we not want to pull it out into the world right I mean, as simple as that yeah that that makes sense yeah. but but i'm i'm thinking like more from the point of like do you want to take that extra piece of work also on yourself especially if there are people who are you know and they, i'm sure all of the people who are charging for which their sole aim is to build great chargers for all of the vehicles out there yeah. so if that's their core thing and uh, and that's their primary focus then do you think you'll be better off saving yourself some time and money to you know bank on them or partner with them at least you know and no, not then, really i mean this whole building the charger has been a part of our process okay so it's now. been there yeah, since start we've already built our charger okay you know, it's already there okay and uh, we know it works and we know it works very well so why not pull it up oh, okay got it makes sense um now i think uh, i don't know, i don't think you guys announced the price very like officially but i'm guessing it's somewhere around the around 6 lakhs yeah around the 6 lakh yeah. so with that kind of price tag and uh, with all the specifications that you highlighted who exactly because i'm very interested in knowing like who what kind of uh, people will be riding this bike so, so the who same, exactly are you keeping in mind the same people who are riding kawasaki ninja 650s mm-hmm. the same people who are buying triumph daytona 675s mm-hmm. the same people who are buying kawasaki uh, z800 and z900 mm-hmm. so what we will have is a motorcycle that costs around 6 to 6.5 lakhs and the cheapest 650 cc motorcycle you can buy today is about 6.5 lakhs which is the kawasaki uh, er6n or the ninja 650 or the versus which is a little more expensive mm-hmm. uh, but our motorcycle in terms of performance will be anywhere between a 
600 to 900 cc motorcycle in terms of acceleration it's more like a 900 cc motorcycle okay. in terms of uh, pure top speed it's something like a 600 cc motorcycle because mm-hmm. we'll be electronically limiting our top speed to 200 kilometers per hour yeah. but at least in a, in the city and around the city there's no avenue to really uh, go faster than that yeah but the whole thrill of riding this motorcycle is in having this tremendous acceleration which will uh, which like i said is going to yeah. blow your socks off it's mm-hmm. very it's a lot of fun to ride that's the vehicle that we are focusing on building right now and the same people who buy these sort of vehicles a chunk of them we see buying buying your vehicles one yes so uh, in like one thing i know about people who you know are into such high end sports bike is the sheer thrill of it right like the sheer uh, and a big part of to do that is the response they get out of the bike in terms of the sound in terms of the vibrations and all that mm-hmm. now getting them to shift on to a more silent version out of it would for a lot of people i know would suck the fun out of the whole thing how do you sort of you know then uh, reach out to that chunk because you consider that's your market we reach out to them by asking them to try it once okay okay that's good got yeah. it so our prototype as crude as it is as unrefined as it is i would still keep my 250 cc bike at home and i would want to ride this every day mm-hmm. because it's already much faster than my bike mm-hmm. and it's so much more fun to ride than my bike mm-hmm. I don't care about the sound I don't care about the vibrations because okay. the whole experience of it is so much fun mm-hmm. that you just forget about the rest of uh, the thing I, I don't even I don't I don't even miss the clutch and the gear because okay. see you shift gears because you have to not yeah. because you want to <laughs> right you have to that's the requirement that's the is a mechanical requirement of the motorcycle yeah. right in this case you don't need to shift gears all you need to do is throttle and go yeah. and the throttle response is so addictive that I don't think anything else matters that much but see at the end of the day there will be a lot of uh, loyalists mm-hmm. and uh, there's nothing uh, i mean the, it's not that we want to convert them or anything like yeah. that that's their personal choice and i completely respect them and i can also understand why yeah. having written motorcycles for lower mm-hmm. for so long yeah but me personally varun the kind of uh, people we have in this company mm-hmm. we are not too nostalgic about things like that you know okay. we have to let old things go Yeah no that, that's yeah. no that's a great as people who are building it that makes sense but the whole game comes down to you know who i mean what's your target market and if you're able to convince them because the market that you just mentioned is heavily dominated by brand okay at that segment you're going against these large brands Kawasaki and Triumph and all that yeah. so do you think that's a potentially big uphill task to get those people it is a tremendously uphill task right yeah so, so i mean what? but but do you think that's a great great starting point for you as a company why not i mean how many companies at least in india are building electric super bikes right a lot of people are building electric vehicles mm-hmm. and they are trying to go up against uh, 200 cc bikes 300 cc bikes like ultraviolet for example yeah ultraviolet and uh, we have companies like ather wanting to go up against uh, activa which is the single highest yeah. selling uh, uh, two wheeler yeah in india or is it no it's actually the splendor and the hf deluxe mm-hmm. scooter yeah. in india mm-hmm. so so you think every segment has its own challenges and you don't find this more daunting than the others so like i said these are all teething pains that mm-hmm. we have to get through but you are confident that you know what you have to offer uh, works well in the segment that you're targeting yeah right? so we are confident because we are building the very best product we possibly can mm-hmm. right and uh, i think that if the product speaks for itself eventually it will gain enough traction to become mainstream right that makes sense Awesome. Uh, this has been a good podcast. I am going to get into a couple of questions that my community has sort of pitched in. Okay. So, I'll sort of answer those a little. And try and see what we can do there. That's a good one, you know, because there's a lot of companies uh, trying to uh, build like premium smart, uh, sort of sports bikes. And when I ask them what the exact reason is, they aren't able to come up with good answers. But... I think this is a new thing I learned today. I don't know. Is, I don't know if this is a good answer. This is the answer that I would give. No, but this makes sense, right? Because every segment, like even just segment that Ethos trying to play in, they have their own challenges in terms of the size of the market they're trying to go against, right? Here, your challenge is brand and loyalty. There, the challenge is sheer utility, and if uh, there, the challenge is more of like uh, you know, uh, are people willing to shift? Because the price plays a huge role there. See, every tectonic shift that happens uh, in the industrial world always comes with its initial set of uh, apprehensions and challenges. Like mm-hmm. uh, initially, when smartphones came out, they were too expensive, and uh, people were worried about the battery life. People were worried about ten thousand things. Now yeah. there's a smartphone in everybody's hand. 
yeah, nobody even cares about the Nokia brick anymore mm-hmm. except except in memes and things like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, total due respect to that product, yeah. but yeah, nobody. I don't see anybody using it mm-hmm. anymore. Got it. Okay, so a couple of questions here. Uh, number one, I'm gonna take it from Trey uh, Minded. I'm not sure what your real name is, but we'll just go. Trey Minded. Trey Minded. Trey underscore Minded. T R A Y. Yeah. So he asked which material was used for making the frame and the body of the motorcycle. Mild steel. Okay, mild steel. That's a very straightforward question. Um, okay, why is frame and the bodywork? Yeah. Okay, so the body, frame and the body of the motorcycle. The bo- oh, Okay, is it the panels of the motorcycle? Yeah, I'm guessing that's yeah, what the it means. panels are uh, FRP, fiber okay. reinforced plastic. Got it. Yeah. Uh, then next is uh, Ajay. Why is there so much delay in bringing out the bike? Is it because funding or fine tuning? I think this is the thing that a lot of people want to know. So I think we should address it. What's taking uh, influx so long? And and uh, the stuff that you mentioned to me earlier, you know, how you're more... Actually, I want you to you know, continue with the whole thing. So what's, what's taking you so long? Well, it's both of them and more, mm-hmm. if I have to be very honest. So engineering a vehicle is not an easy task. Because uh, it has to be, uh, well, first of all, we are doing all doing this for the very first time, but that's not the main reason. We are a startup and we are very, very severely limited on funds and resources, uh, which is why we have to be very frugal, but that comes at the cost of being a bit slow in terms of development. And uh, we are building a vehicle that has never been built in this country before. And uh, it's a, it's a super bike, right? So if... There is one component that is badly engineered, one nut and nut or bolt, which uh, is not properly uh, conceptualized or uh, conceived, right? It could mean an accident and that could mean death Mm -hmm. to the person who's riding it. Mm -hmm. So it takes a very long time to engineer, to to design, to engineer and to actually bring a product like this out into manufacturing. So if I have to give you an example, uh, I joined TVS in 2014. Mm -hmm. August of 2014 and my very first day over there, I saw the finished design of the Apache RR310. You know, the very first thing I saw was like a fully finished clay model and they had a couple of prototypes also ready. Mm -hmm. So that's the Apache RR310 and the uh, RTR200 was already like, uh, it it was ready. Mm -hmm. And the bike only came out as I was leaving TVS, which was uh, two years after that, okay. uh, the uh, RTR, mm-hmm. and almost uh, almost a year after I left TVS, which is three years to the day that I saw the finished design of the RR310, uh, mm-hmm. the bike came out into the market. Okay. You know, so there's like a ton of things that happen in between that stage and this stage. Mm-hmm. TVS has no reason to delay it. Uh, you know, uh, like intentionally, right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that go, uh, that happen in engineering, a lot of things that happen behind the scenes that are not immediately apparent to the eye. Mm-hmm. And uh, I I have a lot of respect for that mm-hmm. post-TVS than I did pre-TVS. Okay. You know, even pre-TVS, I used to think, why do people take so much time to bring a vehicle out into the market? Mm-hmm. Trust me, nobody wants to take so much time to bring yeah. a vehicle out into the market. Yeah. Some people do it faster than others, but... Yeah. In, on average, uh, life cycle, uh, development life cycle of uh, of any automobile, it's much longer for cars. Mm-hmm. Of a motorcycle is anywhere between four to five years. Mm-hmm. And we have been around for only about uh, three years yeah. now. Mm-hmm. And we are a startup and we are severely, severely crunched for resources. Yeah. And uh, all of these factors do play a, mm-hmm. a big part in how long it takes to bring a vehicle out into the market. Yeah, And one of the interesting that you we discussed before the podcast was that you're now banking more on building a profitable business in order to sustain this and not really, you know, sort of uh, clinging your hopes on doing it on funding as well. So that's a big, bold statement. Any any reason, like, does that come stem out of like the reason is the to re- make this happen and it's not just a startup game you're playing? That's uh, I don't even know what that means. The reason we are doing that is because we have to survive. And uh, if uh, uh, touch wood, if uh, the day we go under and we, we go bankrupt, it should be nobody's fault but our own okay. that it happened. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, to put it another way, the, we should have tried absolutely everything in a, in a, within our power 
to have uh, wanted to stay alive mm-hmm. and to get this vehicle out into the road yeah. so if we are not getting funding mm-hmm. or if uh, you know the f- funding is going to happen in the future but then we, did, we didn't stay alive long enough to yeah. see that day yeah, yeah. it would be nobody else's fault but our own yeah. so what's the point in waiting around and blaming other people that mm-hmm. you know things are not happening for us instead we just did a, decided to take matters into our own hands yeah. and like i said the amount of uh, uh, learning that has happened like right from uh, inception until now mm-hmm. has allowed us to start exploiting that for uh, for uh, revenue okay so some of the products that we developed to test our uh, test our bike mm-hmm. we can start we, we have actually uh, started selling to other people okay to test their vehicles mm-hmm. and all of the knowledge that we have gained mm-hmm. we can use it to build vehicles for others mm-hmm. through development contracts things like that yeah so we can at uh, as we stand we can pretty much build an entire vehicle for another company if they want it mm-hmm. or let's say they already have a vehicle but they're looking for a drive train we can build it for them or if they have the drive train and they want the mechanicals and the aesthetics done for them we can do it for them mm-hmm. things like that okay. so using the things we have at our disposable at our disposal sorry to become uh, uh, not only uh, no not not only uh, sustain ourselves with revenue but to become profitable mm-hmm. that's exactly what we're doing right now we're not that, waiting around i i think that stems out of sheer commitment to you know see the day of this bike coming exactly. out in the market exactly uh, and like i mean like just like hearing that like so really it, it may take a, a bit of a longer time for us i'm really mm-hmm. sorry to say this yeah. it may take longer for the influx one to come out but mm-hmm. we will make it happen mm-hmm. you know no matter what i mean like we're waiting to see that day when i have a lot of friends so like i told them you know i think a bunch of friends because you do the testings right on this road right so i have a lot of friends who stay here mm-hmm. and uh, they uh, witnessed by and they of course blown away by the power that it has and they told me you know this company I'm like yeah i do know this company and then i told them you know i'm going and meeting them today and all so there's a lot of hopes and and things uh, that people would like for you as a company to come on but of course there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes as you said it takes for it to come out and so once it does which i really think it will yeah. uh, i think a lot of people will sort of you know just be taken aback by what the sheer amount of effort put in and the end result of it yeah. so we're so really waiting for that so if we stay patient and we make it and if people stay patient yeah. hopefully with us yeah guys to all the haters out there and all the guys who are impatient come on I mean do you think it's that easy to shift over a 100 year old industry and build a product from scratch I don't think so it's never been done it's never been done and of course it takes and that's one of the things I keep repeating on my channel like people just people got impatient with the revolt they announced in I think May or June uh, this year and they came out by I think whatever mm-hmm. September or August and people in those four months were like hey no this is a fraud I mean I can kind of understand that excitement I, I can understand. Having, having been on that side of things yeah, myself yeah I can understand but yeah. i try to sort of you know uh, empathize a lot with industry i mean i'm a, a, a sort of like a part of it but i try to you know tell that to people if 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 you really want to support the whole cause of you know having evs up then it really makes sense to stick through the companies in the thick and thin right so here's a sort of you know uh, uh how can i say this a plead not even a plead you know just for you to understand and that's the reason i want to do this you know it gets out the a uh, part that don't come into mainstream media in terms of you know because nobody nobody wants to talk about how tough no, it actually, is no actually we did put out a post uh, on facebook i saw that i saw that yeah, yeah. i saw that but again i mean there, there were a few takers for that but then it's the yeah i know i, I read the comments as well right cuz but that, that's the reason i can like strongly no, the the support actually has been pretty incredible i would say mm-hmm. i mean that's one sort of things the other sort of things the support has been really good when we put out the post people are like we are we are with you no matter what yeah uh, you know and all that so that that really helps us you know get going yeah it's uh, it's a huge encouragement it's a huge boost for us yeah as well i mean absolutely so, Uh, that that's I mean, one thing like i said the it's common sense that there is absolutely no reason for us to delay yeah it's not like a, uh, yeah. trying to sort of poke people in yeah. but what's the point why would we want to do that yeah right yeah. so the all i can say is that we are literally doing everything in our power to yeah. just make it happen as soon as possible yeah. and just and, and i hope also uh, that we see the light of day 
I I think you will so I mean, like, this, I mean I can just feel the you know intensity and the commitment I can see it all around you like if if there's something I mean you're going to the extent I mean there's there's a lot of points at which people can give up on their dreams right and the part that you're going through right now I'm sure a good 80 to 85% of people would have given up if they landed up in this situation that you are but yeah, they, I hope not I hope people don't give up on their dreams no I'm just, but most do right I'm not I mean I I hope they don't but most do but the well, fact if, that you're if, sticking if through if they do if they do give it up i would say things got really 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 bad for them mm. or they they didn't dream uh, what the dream does not actually the dream yeah exactly so the fact that you're sticking through the whole thing and the fact that you know you're making all these different things work out for yourself is a big testament to you know how badly you wanted to come into the market and how how badly you want it for people to see it so guys the least we can do is just lend our support here okay because there are a lot of things against Uh, stacked against the industry and every single company in it. So that that's one thing I I try to make an appeal across any company. I actually put out a post as well that you know we go have the least we can do and and in fact the most we should we can do is lend our support because because that encourages everyone's doing. A uh, couple of more questions. Mm, I think I have. Uh, okay. Uh, I think. that's about it we've come to the end of it we've okay. mostly covered those questions that i just saw here okay. so one last sort of you know message to all the upcoming budding automotive designers because there's a lot of people trying uh, getting into the field of uh, automotive designing because because of this new influx of you know uh, exciting startups like yours and so what is your sort of message to them do they have to be you know because your journey was very different in terms of you know going into product design then all other kinds of designing freelancing and then landing up into transportation design yeah. so what's a message for anyone who's you know trying to get into this field well i don't think i can offer them anything new beyond the cliche which is never ever ever give up on your dreams that's all i would say because if uh, you want it bad enough you'll make it happen no matter what and even if it doesn't happen you'll just keep on trying and trying and trying until it finally happens that's all i would say Awesome. So that's the end of the podcast, guys. I hope this was this podcast uh, sort of reached out to the upcoming designers, upcoming you know people who are trying to work in this industry, and uh, you know people who are actually having their own startups. You know, so we we saw a lot of things covered in the startup uh, in this podcast about what it actually takes to run a startup in this industry and how hard is it. But if you have the skills and the commitment and the determination, it doesn't matter how hard it gets. You're gonna get through it. So thank you so much, Vinay. Thank you. Great talking to you. Thank you so and, much. And uh, I hope and I really hope to see the influx one out there and hopefully ride it one day. So do I. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. How long did we speak? Let's see. One hour six minutes. Awesome. Okay. So I stop it now? Yeah, I'm gonna stop it.